This week and next week, we're going to be doing a series, a mini-series, and then into team night as well on September the 13th, that is based on a passage of the Bible, John chapter 4. I'm going to read it in a minute, but I'd like us all to be reading that, meditating on that. And from that passage, I'm going to use it as a bit of a springboard to talk about some initiatives, some events, some changes that are going to go on for us here at C3. Change is never easy, is it? But when you know the why behind the change, it kind of helps a little bit. And here's the first change that we're announcing. We've already been doing it surreptitiously for the last few weeks. From now on, we will not on Sundays be doing any paper outline notes. Oh, mixed reaction there. We're heading up towards pantomime. I can feel it in the air there. We used to do paper outline notes with scriptures on and such like, but no longer. We've gone to YouVersion, which is on your phone. You can get the app, YouVersion app. We'll be showing you next week how to use it. Don't panic. I can use it. It's simple. Um, so anyone can use it. And on there you have your notes and you have all the Bible passages and additional comments. And in the future we can hope to put announcements up there and stuff that's going on. So look it up this week if you haven't got it. You version. The other good thing, not only is it that it saves us paper and so it's eco-friendly. The other good thing is it means that if you haven't brought your paper copy of a Bible you'll have it on your phone all of the time in any language or version you almost would like. So it's always available there. So there's no excuse when I say, let's turn. In fact, I should now say, let's turn on our Bibles so that we can read the actual passage that we're going to address. Now I'm going to read from John chapter 4. It's a really long passage. I can't remember when I've read such a long passage in church for years and I'm not going to read it next week. I'm just reading it this week, and then that's done, and you need to know it and have it in your mind. It's a really well-known story. But tonight, we will read all of John chapter 4, from verse 1 down to 43. By the way, this is the longest recorded conversation of Jesus to an individual in the whole of the New Testament, which makes me think this might be something important. Hello? There might be a lot to take from this. The longest recorded conversation with a single individual, this Samaritan woman, as we'll see. So here we go, verse 1 to 43. Number one. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered that if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? But Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And we used to say in the church that I grew up in, and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. What a wonderful passage. Just go back right to verse 1, and verse one to 3 there. It says, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. It was going really well in Judea. He was baptizing, or more specifically, the disciples were baptizing more followers than even John the Baptist, who had gained quite a reputation. John the Dipper in the wilderness was baptizing a lot of people, and the Pharisees and the people all around had heard, John's baptizing, John's baptizing. But now someone else comes, Jesus, and he is far exceeding what John did. Now, John was happy with this. If we could have read John chapter 3 in the end of it, John said, it's okay, he must in increase, speaking of Jesus, and I must decrease. So Jesus is increasing, his reputation is growing, there's success here, there's converts, there's followers, there's those he's baptizing. If it was me, I would have said, let's stay. Let's build, an, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a baptistry. Let's not use the Jordan anymore. Let's have our own flushing water going through. Let's, let's stay here in Judea. It's going so well. Why did he need to go? And that's what I asked myself as I read this passage. Why, when it was going so well, did Jesus need to go back once more to Galilee? Now, some say it's because at this stage in his ministry, Jesus didn't want to get into any controversial conversations with the Pharisees because it was them that had hurt. And he didn't want to get into any theological debates about baptism and salvation and repentance. Or maybe, as some say, he didn't want to reveal who he was too soon because if he revealed too soon who he was to them, they understood that the crucifixion wouldn't work to the time scale. God had planned, so he had to leave. And it could be that. It could well be those reasons. He left pronto. But I've got another suggestion. And my suggestion is this, based on other scriptures. On a similar vein, in a similar vein, in Mark chapter 1, verse 37 to 39, the disciples say to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone. Now, I don't know how many everyone was, but seemingly the crowds were pressing in. Everyone's looking for you. You're Mr. Popular. We want you. Come out, Jesus. Come and share the message. And Jesus says this. These are the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 37. Let's go. 
Let's go to the next town that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. Still another occasion similar to this. This is Luke 4 verse 42. They tried to keep him from leaving. Please stay. Stay around. But he said, the words of Jesus, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. In this passage we read, John 4 verse 34. Jesus said that he was, even in his tiredness, even in his hunger, there was a food that sustained him. And this is what he said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is my point. Jesus had this overwhelming sense of sentness. He knew that he'd been sent for a purpose, for a task. And he was here. And it doesn't matter how popular he was over here. There was another town in Galilee. There was another region to reach. I'm a sent one, he says. And I've got to fulfill the will of him who sent me. He has this overwhelming sense. I am sent. Jesus was sent. Check this out on Bible Gateway or even on your new version. 44 times in the New Testament, it's recorded that Jesus was sent. He was the sent one. I'll read you two of them. I've already read a couple, but this is in John 6, 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John 8, 18. I am the one who testifies for myself, Jesus said. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Jesus was sent. Christmas is coming. And we're going to celebrate the sent one. Emmanuel. Don't let's ever forget. We know his name is Jesus, which means he shall save the people from their sins. But in order to be a saviour, he had to be Emmanuel. He had to be sent from heaven. He had to walk on this earth. There had to be the incarnation. He had to be with us and one of us because he's Emmanuel, God with us, and he's Jesus, the Savior. Sometimes I think we forget that, but let's never forget he's the sent one. We were out um, preaching. We've been doing a lot of that this year in another church in, in Norfolk, sunny Norfolk. And we had an afternoon off and we went shopping. And as we were shopping, my wife and I, and she's corrected me from this morning, so you're going to get the accurate version of what really happened. I had it different in my mind. I was the hero in the story somehow. But we were walking past the shop, and Angie saw a record player. This morning I told everyone I saw it, but she saw a record player in the, in the front. You know, you know what a record player is? Some of you are looking at me very blank. LPs. And Angie said to me, this is the way around, she said, wonder how much that is. And we decided if it wasn't too much of a cost, we'd buy it for our little study at home or my, my, um, my library. So we went in and I think it was 76 pounds. No? How much was it? 110. <laughs> I just want to get the facts right. All right. It was 110 pounds. We said, oh, it's a bit, we'll buy it. So we went home and now in the corner of my library, I've got this uh, kind of modern, but it looks old, record player. And I got out all my vinyls, of which here's exhibit A. This is an album by a couple, called, uh, a couple of guys called uh, Stuart and Kyle from Northern Ireland. I used to be in the Word Record Club, and I used to get one of these a month. Some of you are looking at it and think, wow, that looks aged. It was this color when I bought it. All right, it's always been this color. And in here, I listened to a song as I read John chapter 4. And read the scriptures, I went through the 44 of them about him being sent. With this playing in the background. This is a conversation, an imaginary conversation that went on in heaven in eternity past. God the Father says to the Son, Jesus, I want you to go to earth and give your life for the sinner. Will you go? Will you go? They'll sneer and they'll spit at the words that you speak for the sinner. Will you go? You'll die on a cross with a crown of thorns on your head for the sinner. Will you go? They'll jeer and they'll call. If you're God, save yourself, my only Jesus. 
Will you go? Will you go? All power when you live, but in death you're alone. For the sinner, will you go? Then rise from the dead and show the world to my hands. Soon we'll have children with us here. Will you go? Will you go? And the chorus, which is Jesus replying, goes like this. Yes, Father, I will go. My life is yours to use. I will tell the world that you alone are God. And he came. And he bled and he died. And gave his life just for you. Jesus. Jesus is sent. And we should thank God daily that he came. But not only was Jesus sent... Jesus then passed on his identity of sentness onto his disciples. And he says this to them, and he says it to us. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He said it to his immediate 12, he said it to the 72, but he's saying it to us now in every age, in every group of disciples that have ever been. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this is what I really want to say to you tonight, 5.30 service. Do you know you are sent? Do you know you are a sent one? Do you know that you are, to use the words of the Apostle Paul, an ambassador of Jesus Christ? What a beautiful title. Do you know that the gospel has been entrusted to you and to me, that we are emissaries of the kingdom of heaven? Hey, I'm preaching much better than you're responding. We are emissaries of the kingdom of heaven. We are those that have been sent just like the Father sent the Son. If you've been baptised into Christ, then guess what? You are clothed with Christ. And when I say you've been sent, you've got all that you need to be that emissary. You've got all that is required. If you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit, guess what it says? The, you were to, the disciples were to wait until they were clothed with power from on high. You've been clothed with power. I've been clothed with power. You, if you are a Christian, don't have to try to be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You don't have to try and be salt. You are salt. That's what the Bible tells us. It doesn't say try and be. I'm going to try and be salt. You are if Christ is in you by His Spirit, if the gospel is shed inside you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You have all that it takes to be a sent one. Yeah. Ambassador, emissary, representative of Jesus Christ in the earth. I remembered as I was preparing this, when I was at school, um, Mr. Bamforth was our headmaster. Well, sounds a great name for a headmaster, doesn't it? And he used to walk in assembly every day with his cloak wafting pastors, and he was this big man. And I lived about less than a mile, half a mile away from the school. And every day we walked the same route home. Me with two or three friends, Gary Beamish, otherwise known as uh, Bemo. David Weston, otherwise known as Weather, and me, Steve. And so <laughs> I wasn't cool enough to have a nickname. And these three guys, we'd walk home and we used to play this game. It was a game of what impression can we physically leave on a privet hedge? You know what privet hedges? Hedges are along the way. It was basically, let's see whose old person's hedge we can destroy. That's how cruel we were. And we would run from the other side of the road and we would dive onto the hedge. And then we'd leave an impression and then we'd go back the next day and say, that's where you were, that was there, that's where you were, Bimo, that's where you were, Steve. We were that basic. But Mr. Bamforth heard. There was a complaint, quite rightly so. And Mr. Bamforth called us into his office. There was another guy whose name I can't remember. Four of us stood there and none of us were going to admit we'd all done it actually and he said I remember him saying to us lift up this is the time by the way in the cane when you could cane children that's how barbaric that's how old I am and, it, and we did all get cane for this and I remember Mr. Bamforth lifted our heads he said look at me he said boys he pointed his long 
bony finger. He said, whenever you're in school uniform, you're representing this school. And we're all shaking. <laughs> whenever you're in school uniform, you're representing this school. Christian, you can't get out of uniform. You are clothed with Christ. Wherever you go, you represent the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of God, son of God, a daughter of God, an emissary of the kingdom. Some of you may have heard this story. It was about a young police officer who was taking his final exam at Hendon Police College in North London. And he came to this question, which I'm going to read to you in his response. The question went, you are on patrol in London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there is an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief inspector who is at present away at a conference in the USA. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that he is a man who was wanted for a series of violent armed robberies. Just at that moment, a man runs from a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been thrown into an adjacent canal by the explosion and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. The young officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote these words. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. Yes. <laughs> you can't take off your uniform, Christian. You are clothed with Christ. You're a sent one. The heroes, when I was growing up in the church I grew up in, that we always applauded were missionaries who worked overseas. So whenever an overseas missionary came back from furlough, they were the ones, came back on furlough, they were the ones we revered, we honored. These, these are really the real Christians overseas as missionaries. First time I remember noticing my wife, which wasn't my wife, she was only 14 and I was, no, I was 14, she was 12, was when she walked to the front of the uh, Sunday school in her fake fur fabric coat, which wasn't trendy then and uh, isn't now, but she looked to me like a furry, a furry angel. I thought, I'd like to get to know that girl. And she turned around and she said, we've collected with half penny pieces, five pounds which we're going to send to the missionaries. And she put on the board where we were sending our five pounds. And we would do that regularly. The missionaries were the heroes overseas. In the house I grew up in, because of my dad's mental health issues, we had very few guests. Very few. No one ever stayed. My granddad, my nan, my mum's parents never stayed. He never wanted them to stay. Not in the house. I came home one day remember this and there was this couple in our house and I said to my mum who are they and she said ah they're the missionaries and they're staying tonight and they stayed in my mum and dad's bed obviously my mum and dad slept somewhere else but <laughs> just to make that clear they went somewhere else in fact they came into my room and these missionaries let me get their names right uh, Horace and Eva Banner. They were missionaries to Brazil. They worked with the indigenous tribes in Brazil and they were famous because they had discovered a particular waterfall. I've got photos of it here. And they had discovered three missionaries who'd gone previously, this was in the 60s, 70s, called Three Freds. And the three Freds had all lost their lives for seeking to spread the gospel in this remote area then, in those days of Brazil. They were heroes. Every Sunday for three months, we had a guy called Mr. Griffiths. Mr. Griffiths had a false arm, prosthetic arm, 
And he used to come and he was a Bible college, Emmanuel Bible College. And he was a hero because he was going to become a missionary to the seamen. And every Sunday, we had a missionary in our house. I went to the Keswick Convention every year when I was a child. And they used to have a missionary night and I sneaked in. When I was 12 years of age, I shouldn't have been in there. It was supposed to be for the young people, not my age. I looked older then than I did. Nothing's changed. And uh, I, I went in, and I remember, I wrote it in my journal that night. There was an appeal about becoming a missionary, and I stood up. I was 12. I stood up, I said, I'm going to be a missionary. Missionary overseas. That's God's call in my life. We support a couple here, and I'm going to show you a little clip which I filmed, all right? So there's, this wasn't the, the, uh, our media department. This was me with my iPhone while I'm having a meeting with them upstairs. It's rubbish, but it's real. Okay, you have to lean in a little, little bit. This couple here, every time we take a vision offering, we will give this couple every year where we've committed to give them 10,000 pounds to help them because they're part of us as they seek to reach an unreached peace, people group in Central Asia. I can't even say where they are publicly for recording purposes. They'll tell you privately. They are, honestly, their lives are on the line. They already have an MBE for another nation, Islamic nation, where they worked before, and they rescued people. And they were being shot at, literally, in order to get people out when the country was in a state of rebellion. And we are part of what they're doing. We've seen some of the work before, but I just ask them, why do you do what you do? Take a listen to their answer. So, hi, I've got Joel and Claire Harry here with me uh, at the C3 Centre. Uh, just about to go off again. Um, would you tell us, Joel and Claire, why you do what you do? Well, for me, it's part of the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, um, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And also Matthew 24, 14, he says, The gospel will be preached to the old people groups um, so that they understand it and then the end will come and that is the biggest motivation for me that Jesus isn't going to come back until the gospel has been preached in the whole world and so yeah we're in one of the most challenging and least reached parts of the world and hopefully we're taking part in what will help Jesus come back sooner because that's what we want. Yeah, I've, I've often thought about Matthew 28 and obviously that's a foundational scripture for why we go. But even if we didn't have that, you know, everything about who we understand God is, everything what we see Jesus doing in the New Testament is about reaching the lost, reaching those who don't know Jesus, who haven't heard. So even if Jesus hadn't given that final command, that's, we can see God's heart in Scripture, that he's, he's reaching out for the, the lost sheep, the one that you know, is lost. And for me, it's these people are lost. They haven't heard. They haven't heard the good news. And someone's got to tell them. And... Um, it's not it's not that complicated it's quite quite simple in the same way that we we want someone we know here in England to hear the good news we want those um, the people where we work great if there's uh, finish it there. one or two I go on to ask them is there anything we can do to help be involved and they say simply pray for us and then the second thing send an email you can get their email address at the front here in the foyer afterwards. Just an email. Tell them about your life. Tell them you're praying for them as long as you are.
because we're connected with them. And they, to me, are heroes. They're sent ones. Now, hear this very carefully. So am I. I'm a sent one too. I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary to Cambridge. Hey, so are you. I don't want to downgrade them in what they do because I think they do an amazing job overseas. But I don't want us to forget, guys, we are sent ones too. And wherever you find yourself in the earth, we believe in a God who ordains our steps. Wherever you work, you are a sent one. Wherever you live in your street, you are a sent one. If you work for CMR, if you work for Unilever, if you work for Adam Brooks to the NHS, if you work for the university, if you work at a local garage or the Sainsbury's, you are a sent one. You are a sent one. We are like Joel and Claire that I've just said them. We are not different. Please don't, don't hear that I'm pulling them down. I want to lift them up. But at the same time, I want us to say to you, if you're a Christian, you're a sent one. I want you to hear this loud and clear. The issue is not where you work or where you live. It's who sent you. And Jesus has sent you. Let's jump right to the end of this story that we read. When she realizes who this man is, When she drinks from this living water, do you know what she does? She becomes a sent one. Like Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. She suddenly goes to all the other villages and says, hey, I think I've found the Messiah. And did you read the progression in this passage? I think it's amazing. It starts off, she meets this guy who she's looking at. Who's this dodgy Jew at this well? Asking me for a drink. Then they have a bit of a conversation and she realizes he's okay. Then she addresses him as sir. Twice I think it's sir. So he goes from dodgy Jew to sir. Then he reveals some things about her and her history. And then she says, I perceive you are a prophet. Dodgy Jew, sir, prophet. And then when he says a bit more to her and says, it's me who can give you that living water. I'm the Messiah. She has this revelation. This could be the Christ. This could be the Messiah. And then when you read the last verse of the passage and the village, seemingly lots of them turn to Jesus, it says that they realise he was the saviour of the world. What a progression in one short conversation. The saviour, or maybe it took two days by the end of that last bit, but the saviour of the world. And that's because she realised, I think when she drank of that living water, she's a sent one. You are saved, and then you are sent. And if we ever forget that, we lose the very reason for the existence of the church of Jesus Christ. If you think you're just here for a bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, forget it. We're not here just to be blessed. We're here to be blessed so as we can be a blessing. We're meant to receive so as we can give. Don't let the left hand row with the right hand do. Let it flow. It's in and it's out. It's not. Feed me more. I never get it. And there's not many people say this anymore because we've driven them all away. <laughs> you know, when people say, oh, I don't feel like I'm being fed. That's always an excuse. Feed yourself, Christian. Grow up. Go and feed others. Come on, this is about, we have a commission. We have a sentness that's about us. When, when we do Alpha, we tell this story about a guy who wanted to become a Christian, but he was scared of having to tell other people. And so he, he said to a wise Christian guy one day, he said, I'm frightened if I make the decision to be a follower of Jesus, I've got to go and tell everyone, and I don't want to do that. And this wise Christian leader said to him, anyone. So this guy goes home, kneels next to his bed, and he prays the prayer of commitment to Jesus. Come into my life, forgive my sins. I want to be a follower of you. I'm going to follow you. And he sensed that Jesus has heard him. And he stood from his bed and he ran down the stairs and his family are all sitting downstairs. He said, guys, guys, guess what? I've just become a Christian and I don't need to tell anyone about it. The point is this, if you have Christ in you, you have the Spirit in you, this missionary motivated. say, I know, this isn't hard for me to preach. There's an ally inside of you that's going, even if you're not necessarily showing it on your face, inside there's this Holy Spirit that's bubbling up, there's this living water that's saying, you're right Steve, you're right Steve, you're right Steve, I agree with you Steve. You're absolutely right, we've got to go. We are the same ones, you're all saying that. Yeah. Here you are. Because of the Holy Spirit within you. The 
first and most basic sign of being filled with the Spirit should not be speaking in tongues, it should be a powerful witness. Acts 1 verse 8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and also most parts of the earth. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love the way it says this, and I'll draw in in these last uh, five minutes. I love the way it says of Jesus that he had to go through Samaria. He didn't. It was the shortest route, granted, uh, from Judea back to Galilee, right up the middle of Israel. That's, That's just the way to go. Quickest route. But most Jews didn't go the quickest route. If a Jew had put into their sat-nav, uh, Judea to Galilee would have come up with, here is the way to go. It'll take you an extra three days. This would be the note that come up. Take you an extra three days, but it's better to avoid the Samaritans. Jesus knew that. Because the Samaritans and the Jews had no dealings. The, the Samaritans were sellouts as far as the Jews were concerned. They were compromisers. They worshipped in a different way, with different clothing, different place. They were hard pods. We had the message. They're them, but not us. Do you notice how Jesus always wants them to become us? And how he, he, he breaks every rule. He breaks the rule of talking to a woman in the open air. Didn't happen. Rabbis weren't supposed to do that. There was one group of rabbis called the bruised and breathing rabbis because they would close their eyes if they saw a woman anywhere in the vicinity and meant that they would walk into walls or into posts and they'd have bruising and bleeding all over them. And to speak to a woman, never mind look at her. And a Samaritan. This is breaking every rule. A woman. A Samaritan woman. A loose living, probably, although I do have some problem with this, the way we've interpreted it sometimes, because reality was she couldn't get a divorce. It was always a man who did the divorcing. Maybe there was five men somewhere that were more to blame about her current situation. Maybe than the fact that she was just a loose living woman. But that's the way she was treated. And she was poor, probably, because if she'd have had money, she wouldn't have been out there getting the water herself. She'd have sent a servant. So socioeconomically, she's poor. She's female, which in that community and society wasn't a blessing. She's a Samaritan. She's probably classified as the loose and Jesus breaks every barrier and crosses all the lines and embraces her and says I've got living water for you let's talk theology let's talk about worship we don't talk about theology to women Jesus did Jesus did Jesus breaks all the rules and he includes the outsider and he takes the risk guys I want to say this to us got a commission to fulfill we are not happy that everyone in Cambridge doesn't know Jesus just not happy God doesn't want any to perish it's why we exist it's why we live so therefore we've got to go beyond the borders of just talking to those that are like us and those that we're comfortable with I do not want this church full of more Steve Campbell's who are just like me. Neither do you, do you? No. We've got to go to those that are different. And I think it's time to believe God for divine appointments so as that we go beyond the borders of what we know. Me and mine, us and only us. People that are like me. What about people that aren't like you? What about Samaritans? Where is Jesus sending you? Is it overseas? Is it over the road? Is it down the road? Is it to someone in your workplace? We say, oh, I, I could lose face. Lose face? So what? Cross over the line. I, I hate us and them. And yet I struggle with it in myself. Jesus didn't. He embraced When we were watching the film a few weeks ago again, the, um, the Greatest Showman, when we first saw that as a family in Auckland, New Zealand, there was a, a, a love affair that went on between Zac Efron and one of the girls, uh, I don't know her name, Zavanda or something like that, some star. And I, th- I think they're both beautiful people. 
And I came out and I said to the family, what was the problem with that relationship? And they said, well, didn't you get it? She was mixed race and that wasn't allowed. I'd miss that totally because in my radar, that's not even an issue. I don't think that way. That does not mean, that's made me sound so holy, I know. That does not mean in other areas, I don't think us and them. I'm a cyclist. I like to cycle from St. Ives on the St. Ives busway from Cambridge to St. Ives. It's a cycle path. I do not like pedestrians being on that path. It's us and them as far as I'm concerned. Get off! It's my path. I've got to slow down for you. I've got to be respectful because the signs tell me there might be little children holding hands. And I'm thinking, no! It's my path. I was on the A14 a few weeks ago. And you know what the traffic lights on the A14? There was two lanes. And the two lanes were going into one again. And I was in the them lane and there was an us lane there. And I had to get in and see, you know what you do when you're driving? I kind of leapt forward, looked at the guy. He looked at me and he went like that and he let me in front. So I suddenly, I was, went from a them to an us. And I'm thinking, this is lovely. I'm just going along. So we go along a bit further. And then guess what? The lane's still coming. And another guy looks over in the them lane. Now I'm in the us lane. And he looks at me. And I remember what it was like. I was once a them, but now I'm an us. And I'm thinking, you want to come into the us lane, don't you? So I sped up and didn't let him in. Because I struggle with us and them. We've got to break every barrier and step over the line and be bold. I'm going to read to you as, as we finish. And then bring, you can bring out the uh, visual aid as well in a minute. I'll talk to you about this. I just want to say this to us as we finish. This is quite a li- lovely little... Lovely, it's not lovely. It's a radical story, this I'm going to read you. And I want to ask you, can we take more risks? We think we've taken a lot of risks up to now. We ain't got started yet. There's a world to reach. This is a book called Dangerous Love by Ray Norman. And he was spent most of his life living in far-flung corners of the globe, working on long-term development projects and living out his calling as a Christian professional. He writes this, I knew my chances of survival were almost zero, nil, the moment I saw the gun. And the expressionless look in the eyes of the turbaned Arab who had stepped out of the sand dunes next to our stationary four-wheel drive vehicle. My panic thoughts and exploding emotions quickly converged on the survival of my 10-year-old daughter, Hannah, cowering in the next seat to me. When the man turned his aim from my head towards her, something rose up within me that was more than just instinctive protest. No, no, not my daughter. When my wife and I first came to the isolated Islamic Republic of Mauritania to work among the poor, we asked God to mould us and use our lives in whatever way he saw fit for the sake of those we knew he'd called us to serve and love. Over the years, multiple circumstances had caused us to carefully reassess the risks and be reconciled with the fact that this work I love so much could well cost me my life. But surely that commitment did not include the life of our daughter. The same instant I saw the man aim at Hannah, I threw myself against the window to block the shot and heard the dull, thundering report of the gun as it shattered our world. Glass went flying everywhere. I felt the numbing pain of the bullet as it ripped through my arm and I heard Hannah scream as she reacted to the chaos and the horror of the moment. Before the gunman could take aim, I slammed the idling car into gear and spun off just as he fired his remaining shots through the rear window into the back of my seat. Once out of range of the gunman and thinking we were out of immediate danger, I turned to Hannah to comfort her and see if she'd been wounded by the flying glass shards. But my mounting hope of survival quickly crumbled when I looked her way. Choking back the dark fear that was welling up within me, I reached across her bloodied seat to see why she was clutching the front of her dress. As I pulled my little girl's trembling hands away, I saw in the centre of a heavy, of a heaving chest, a deep, hollow and jagged bullet hole. And flowing from it, a steady, 
meandering stream of bright crimson blood. It was then that my already shattered world fell completely apart, alone and surrounded by only the blowing dunes of the Western Sahara Desert and hundreds of miles from any reliable emergency medical facilities. My mind and heart broke frantically for a remaining thread of hope. Everything in me pleaded for a small measure of reassurance or even a divine injunction to the surreal events of the last few minutes from the one to whom I'd committed my life and soul. In dry, rasping whisper of desperation, I forced words of protest up from the depths of my heart and out into the hot, dusty desert air. No, 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 dear Lord. This is not the way it was supposed to be. Not my daughter. Take my life, but give me my daughter. want to know what happened you'll have to buy the book Dangerous Love my point is this what a risky life for the sake of the gospel and I don't want to make out that that's any more of a call than what your call and my call is to our sphere of influence but what risk are you taking what risk am I taking We've got a number of events coming up. It's not about events, I know that. We are a go and invite church. We want to be incarnational, we want to be attractional, unapologetically. In the foyer, you will find one of these. There are 300 table tennis balls in here, and every one represents a person. There's another 300 out there, about 600. We're a little bit more than that, adults-wise, Well, how about for our next Alpha Supper on September the 20th, you inviting someone and taking one out of there, once you've invited them, put it in here and say, invited. Put their initials on it. There's pens out there for you. Just put their initials. And that we could maybe see, could we empty this so as that we have one, two, three, five guests. You probably have to invite more. It probably has to be the Samaritans. It probably has to be the people in the highways and byways that you might not even know. Yeah, invite your friends, but friends isn't enough. Because we're not doing it. We'll not fulfill the commission just on friends. Write their names on it. And every time we walk past these next few weeks, we might just say a prayer for Jim and for Mary and for Sylvia and for Fred and for Angela and Pete and whoever else the names are you've written their initials on and that every time we go past and maybe we'll use these again for the Mark Ritchie night and Christmas come on 2,000 people this Christmas can we pray for them 2,000 twice what we had last year that we see come through our Christmas events here both the here and very St. Edmunds we'll share more of other stuff as we go on but let me finish with this we've got series coming up that starts in a couple of weeks time which is called Influence and we've invited in a number of people, I think this is going to be a significant series for us because I want you to know we're all sent and like the church that I've been reading a book by a guy called J.D. Greer they say at the end of their service when they all go they say these same words as they leave we are sent and above the door it has we're entering the mission field because it's out there in your workplace and in your community we've got different speakers coming that represent different spheres of influence that maybe we can learn a little bit more about or maybe we can pray more about or maybe it's your sphere of influence so on September 16th we have the Bishop of Ely coming he's going to talk about how through politics religion can have an influence He's in the House of Lords. He's going to talk about that. On September 23rd, we have David Niskin coming, who was a boy who grew up in this church. His mom's here tonight somewhere. I saw her. Dave's a professional musician. He's doing so well in his career, but he's shining in that area of media and the arts, of entertainment and the arts. And he's going to come and share. And we can pray and no more. 
On the 7th, on the 30th of September, Jeff Page will bring in with him a headmaster friend who is a friend of a, a, a headmaster of a number of uh, establishments in the, the city here. They'll be talking about how we can influence and pray for them as teachers. On the 7th of October, in our evening service, we have Mark Ritchie, who's bringing his one-man show. It's a great opportunity to invite friends to, that he did in Edinburgh recently. On the 14th of October, we have Daniel Rolf, who's a pastor of a church in Colorado. His family are in the church here. On the 21st of October, we have Rob Allen, with a team of business people from the church here, who will be talking about how we can influence and affect our salt and light in the business world. On the 28th of October, we have Ashley John Baptiste, who is a BBC presenter. We know Ashley, and he's going to share how we can influence in the media world and how we can pray for that kind of arena and be involved. On the 4th of November, we have Simon Rhiannon Beaumont, who will be talking about family and how we can influence family and be salt and light in that. And then finally, we'll have on the 11th of November, Matt Bird, who'll talk about government, who's involved in social action and social enterprise and influencing government. He'll be talking about how we can influence locally and nationally into government arena, how we can influence for good. And we will be better equipped. Because our goal, and what I'm trying to say to you is, as a set mom, you are sent into all... Now, that's not every arena. That doesn't include the medical arena. I'm sorry. We must do that some other time. Some of you, I met someone, they were on nights last night at Adam Brooks and then they've come out. We will do that arena because it's a big one. We should do. But they're the kind of ones we've taken for this series of how you can be an influence and how you can pray for those. I think it's going to be one of the most exciting and best series that equips you for Monday that we've ever done. So when you be praying, who can I invite? How can I get involved? What can I do? Because you're here for the good of this city. We're here for the welfare of the city and our world. And we are the same ones that are here to make a difference. Come on, let's stand. As we finish, we're going to sing about who we are as followers of Christ. As we follow.